1: And again, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you at church today. You're in a beautiful place with some beautiful people. And how many of you are one of those beautiful people? The rest of you need to work on your self-image. But we're going to continue on a series I launched last week called Facing Cultural Headwinds, The Need for the Holy Spirit. And so I won't say a lot right now, but just that we're delving into that topic as it relates to especially the book of Acts. And we'll be getting to some of the other uh, books of the Bible that relate to this. But would you stand for the reading of the word? And we're going to read our passage that we read last week and just begin, or I should say, continue on with this process. Let's begin. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to learning about who you are and the activity that you have been sent to do in us and through us. I pray that misconceptions, I pray for anxieties that are associated with this, that God, you would help people to see the truth, to recognize what the scripture says, and that God, that it is still available to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So I, I launched this last week. Facing cultural headwinds, the need for the Holy Spirit. As we're looking at this, I want to just say a few things that I did last week. I am well aware the topic of the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most divisive topics within Christianity. I don't know what it is. We can agree on who the Father is. We can agree on who the Son is. But I'll tell you, you get to the Holy Spirit and it goes every which way and every direction possible. And part of this, I think, is this. It's the enemy's strategy to recognize that if we understand what the Holy Spirit's been sent to do, it's a new dynamic of God's activity within our world and what he wants to accomplish and do. And so with this, I will say this. Many religious leaders have decided to either minimize or just avoid the topic of the Holy Spirit altogether. You can go on some sites and do research, you know, you can pull up five years worth of messages, and you'll find that the topic in many places is just taboo. If it is referred to in a sermon, it's often just kind of a byline, or if they really touch it hard, they'll back it off and go, "Well, that was what the Holy Spirit did, we know that it doesn't do it today, and then they just jump on and just keep moving on. There's really never a delving deeply into this. And so what's happened is this, is now we have many Christians who minimize or even avoid the role and the topic of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It it makes people uncomfortable. So let me just say what I said last week. As a pastor, you got to know, I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to entrap you. I don't believe in berating people. I don't believe in slamming and all these kinds of things. I think people are intelligent enough, if you put the truth out there and give it some time to marinate, they'll figure it out and they'll come on board. I don't think you have to bash them, embarrass them, and do all these dynamics. I just think, listen, if you just stick with the scripture and you speak it and you show the process whereby, like a person like myself, what's the process that got me where I am? I'm going to show you the process. Okay? So that you have the same ability to go, ah, so now I know why you believe that. I know why you speak that. I know why you practice that. And so I just say that. I hope that you have an open heart, an open mind. I pray you're not going, oh, dear God, here we go again on something. No, I, I don't want that. I, w- I want you to be able to go, hey, I need to process that. I need to think about that. I need to research that. I need, I need the ability to have some time to think about what was said. So I'm not going to be doing any of those kinds of things. I'm not going to categorize people into certain camps like you're either spirit oriented or you're non-spirit. Let me tell you, we're all spirit oriented or you couldn't have gotten saved. But there are various dimensions of the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about this journey. It's like getting, how many, how many recognize now the day you got saved you didn't know everything about Jesus? Right, it's a journey, right? It's a journey, but you knew enough to know what you needed to do that day, and now you've been growing in that knowledge and that learning with Jesus. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. You need to be growing and moving in it. Now, as I said, some leaders have backed off the topic totally. Let me share with you something that I said years ago. The last time I preached on this was in 2019, right before COVID. How appropriate was that? (laughs) That we were gonna need the Holy Spirit Moving into that time and season. It's this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna comment as I as I as I talk about this. It's important. The rationale being utilized to marginalize and even dismiss the activity of the Holy Spirit, the tactics. Has everybody got that? Is now being used to marginalize and dismiss other principles of the faith. For some, it's led to dismissing God altogether. The unintended consequence of Christians being dismissive of the Holy Spirit is the fact that we came up with techniques, and you'll you'll hear people say, well, I know what the Bible says there, but you know, we're no longer there, we no longer do that, we no longer practice that, we don't need it. And so they become dismissive, and they have their principles whereby they can dismiss the Holy Spirit as they read about it in Scripture. Well, we don't do that anymore. And what's happened is this, is we have taught the world how to dismiss the rest of Scripture. We gave them the tactics. Well, after all, it's your tactics. I watched you dismiss this element in Scripture, dismiss that element in Scripture, all because you found discomfort in it. It made you feel uncomfortable, so you came up with the tactics and the techniques to be able to do that with something that you found uncomfortable. Well, we found the topics of marriage and sexuality and all that uncomfortable for us, so we're just borrowing the principles that you use to dismiss stuff that you don't like. It's been an unintended consequence. And so now, let me just say, remember in the, God, in the book of Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. It doesn't say most of it. It doesn't say some of it. It says all scripture is God-breathed. And so I think... I say as, a, as Christians, we maybe need to take some correction in the fact that just because I find something in Scripture uncomfortable does not give me the right to dismiss it. Maybe I have, okay, so what? I have to wrestle with it more than you do because you find it more comforting than I do. But just because I have to wrestle with it more doesn't empower me or give me the right to dismiss it. But that's what we find in our in, in many Christian circles. I'm only going to adhere to teachings that I find comfortable. Really? And where's the growth in that? Right? Growth is coming to a threshold that says, that's not active in my life, but I read the Bible and it says that should be active. So my growth is not staying in my comfort zone, my growth, my new dimensions of growth are stepping into something that God says is for me, but I'm not, I haven't received it yet, but I want to. That's, grow, that's part of the growing process. And so we have to make sure that as we're dealing with Scripture, I say this, that we're dealing honestly and that we're not creating some of these unintended consequences And so, like I said, now we're getting this backlash in culture. So here's the thing. we got to recognize the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit over 500 times. Why would you mention something 500 times if you're not going to let it be for today? Do you realize how much space God could have freed up in the Bible, right? 500, obviously, there's something being communicated here. And again, all right, so we have to work at it harder. So what? We have to study harder. So what? We have the dynamics. Has anybody known that sometimes following Jesus gets messy? Am I the only one who recognizes that? Seven of you have. You know, sometimes it's, it's difficult. It gets messy. But the out is not, well, that's it. Throw it to the curb. No. You put more effort. You, you put more strength into it. You, you maybe acquire more people around you to help you learn, but you don't take the dismissive route. That's not, if you haven't discovered by now, sometimes the faith has hard days with it. All right, maybe I'm the only one who knows that. So I said this last week and it, it's, it bears to be repeated again. Why did Jesus tell his followers not to leave Jerusalem until they had received the gift my father had promised? That's a quote. The gift my father had promised. That's what Jesus says, which was referring to the Holy Spirit. And it's all right here. He says, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The question was this. Hey, you've resurrected from the dead. Man, have you got a lot more power than we ever thought. So when can we expect, notice the word restore, when can we expect Rome to be dethroned and us be put in our rightful place? That's what that's, that's what it's saying there. All right, let's take on that Roman power, baby. And it's going to be when he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father is set by in his own authority. How many know that'll just suck all the air right out of the room? that's not what they wanted to hear and he says but you'll receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in jerusalem all judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth what he's saying here is this i'm not touching rome's power and yet i'm going to tell you to go out there and be witnesses but if you're going to be witnesses and rome is still in power you better have the power of the Holy Spirit because when you live in a Roman culture and its power is in control, you better have the power of the Holy Spirit to counteract Rome's power. Amen. Hey, we see this all over the world. We just had a missions team get back where that church was built. That neighborhood is 97% Muslim. It's a given to them. The power of the Holy It's just a given. They understand that dynamic. It's an Islamic government. They get it. They are called to live a life where the powers that be are in complete opposition to them. You don't don't live for Jesus there just by willpower. You can't can't say, well, when there's a change in the government, then we're really going to get aggressive. Really? And when's that supposed to happen? Because there is no no inkling of any change coming on the horizon. So meanwhile, they're supposed to what? They have to live for Jesus, even though they live in an, under an Islam, Islamic power. We have to live many times. If you haven't recognized by now, you know, you, everybody thinks the Democrats are the problem. Everybody thinks some other people think it's the Republicans, and some people think it's the Socialists, and it's the Independents, and there's all this. And I'm saying, if we wait for the perfect government to show up, we will never do anything for Jesus. Amen. So here's the thing. While these powers all go at each other, we have to do what God has called us to do. And we have to, listen, we don't have political power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, the political power will crush us. So the power of the Holy Spirit is not an option. Any more for us than it was for them back then. It's just not an option. Because you can't live the life that God has called you to live when the powers in your culture are against what you're trying to live for. Well, that's gonna take more than just willpower. You better have something on the end. Well, here, you're you're getting ahead of me. You're forcing me to go places. Okay, so everybody, I I only had one point last week, so I tripled it for you today, I got three. How's that for a bonus, huh? So, number one, everybody read it out. The power of the Holy Spirit is needed when facing the powers of darkness. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this right around the same time that Luke was writing the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, okay? And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, for a struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you know that Paul could have started naming some of the world leaders that were the problem back then? And he never started naming names. He never mentions the names of the world leaders. Why? Because he understood Flesh and blood was not the problem. He says, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly realms. How do you take a swing at darkness when darkness is in the heavenly realms dealing down here and you and I are down here? Well, I'm telling you, that's why you got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the only way to deal with an evil spirit is with the Holy Spirit. Spirit fights spirit. And he says, our struggle's not against flesh, but we want to tag what darkness looks like with a name so bad. It's that person, it's that party, it's that belief, it's that. And Paul says, those are all physical manifestations of an evil spirit that is prompting them. You need to go after what's prompting them. You don't need to go after the person who's manifesting. You need to go after the spirit that's prompting them to manifest. There's only one way to do that, the Holy Spirit. So let's begin to look at this a little further. The word power there, when he says you'll receive power, I shared this last week, it's where we actually get our word dynamite, okay? It's where we get our English word dynamite. And it means a moral power, an ability to do the miraculous. It's this moral fiber that says, no matter what other people say the morals of the day are, these are my morals, and these are morals, I'm on a hill that I will die on. I don't have many hills that I'll die on, but I will die on this hill. It's a moral fiber that says, I don't care which way the wind of culture is blowing. This is what I run my life by today. You see, governments can't control day-to-day decisions on whether you're going to be a good person or not. They can't control whether you say, well, I'm going to be nice, even if you say I shouldn't be. There's not enough government enforcement to say, you can't do that. You can't be nice. You can't be good to people. We see that in other cultures of the world. These regimes say, this is the law, you will this. And we find that people just go ahead and keep living their life daily in personal decision. Why? Because the moral fiber of their heart is greater than the law of the land. They say, you, you can say I can't do You can say I, don't pr- I can't pray. But what are you going to do? Come into my house and make sure I don't pray? What, you're going to follow me around to make sure I don't pray? You say don't read the Bible, you're going to stop me? I have a copy, I can at least go to my house, close the door. What, you're going to put cameras in my house and monitor me 24-7, make sure I don't read a Bible? You see, the moral fiber, listen to me, moral fiber is greater than law. I'm not talking about rising up against law, I'm talking about... The fact that we have to recognize what the power of the Holy Spirit is. This is how I live my life. Period. I serve Jesus. You can take it out of the Pledge of Allegiance. You can stop school prayer. You can stop all you want. You can ban Bibles. You can do all. But I will not forfeit Jesus in my life. We have to know the moral fiber of a... See, that's why I say we have to understand we don't need to win the political battles. We need to win the battle of the hearts. Okay, I'm I'm having a good time today. And then in verse eight, he says witnesses, and I've already said it means to give testimony. It means also to imply the possibility of martyrdom because the word actually in the Greek is where we get our English word martyr. So it's just saying that I'm this committed. This is a hill that's not negotiable. This is not a hill that I'm willing to relocate. This is where I live and if necessary, die on this hill. I'm not looking to die. I don't want to die. I'm not trying to die. And I'm not trying to provoke you to kill me. I'm not trying any of that. But I am saying this. I've made a home on the hill. I got nowhere else to go. And if you don't know where to find me, you'll always find me here. That's what it's saying when it says witnesses. It means this power is to live a life That is in alignment and to give witness about this life with no negotiation. Why not? Listen, and I'm not talking about rioting, I'm not talking about screaming, I'm not talking about threatening people. It's the day to day decisions of my life will be guided by these principles. Whether people think it's popular or not, this is what you'll find guiding my life. I don't need to run up and down the streets and burn cars. I don't have to go up and down the streets and have a riot. I don't have to go around and crash the state house or the, or the Congress. I don't have to do all that stuff. My life and how I choose to live today is the most powerful thing that I have. And so it is with you. Live the life by the values that he's given and he told the disciples to go and give witness to that and now here's this why do we need this power because when you go into Roman culture and there's a Roman power that is in 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 in, in uh, uh, opposition to what you stand for notice he says I want you to go into Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth these actually symbolize Certain powers. Now you could take this from a whole lot of different angles, but this was the angle I'm gonna use. What's Jerusalem? Jerusalem represented religious power. Hey, it was that religious power that killed Jesus. Now you can imagine being going to all the world and give them a witness. Go to Jerusalem, and they're all thinking, yeah, Jesus tried that. Uh, and he's telling us to go back in there? Yeah. He's telling you to go back in there and deal with the religious. See, if you're going to deal with religious power, power that is not God-centered, but it's a religious power so that people can get their way, you had better have the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I want you to go to Judea. What was the land of Judea? The, land of, the word Judea actually means land of the Jews. This is where the elitists lived. You see, Judea was where the haves were, and Galilee is where the have-nots lived. So you had the haves and the have-nots. 11 of the 12 disciples came from Galilee. Remember, they always used to say, is anything good come out of Galilee? Yeah, yeah. 11 of the 12 disciples came from Galilee. Only one came from Judea. His name was Judas. See, he's the guy that went to the chief priest and said, hey, I got an idea. See, an elitist is always interested in maintaining their influence and power. He's the one who went to them and said, hey, I've got this idea. What would it take for me to set Jesus up? Like, let, let's, let's work something here. He's collaborating with the elitist power. We have that in our culture. People who use their power not to help other people. They don't use their power to serve other people. They use their power to protect themselves at the expense of other people, and it's just too bad that that happens to other people, they say. They know what to say publicly, but when they actually put it into action, it's all about protecting themselves and not helping the public good. Some of you are going, I can't believe he's going there today. Hey, Jesus went there, and he said, I want you to go to the elitist, and I want you to deal with the elitist power. How do you do that? Well, I can tell you this. Anything but the Holy Spirit the power of the Holy Spirit will fail. Because you can't legislate that power out. Only the power of the Holy Spirit, which will convict people and say, I need to use the influence that God has given me to help people and not to self-promote myself at the expense of other people. Then he says this, I want you to go to Samaria. Who were Samaria? This was racism because racism back then looked like this. Samaritans were called half-breeds. I don't mean to be politically incorrect, but that was the term. They were half-breeds. They were people who had intermarried among other cultures, and the Jewish people considered them less than human beings. So they were just, you know, Samaria, you guys have your territory, don't come to Judea. And he said, "I want you to go to Samaria and I want you to address the racist power that is in the land. I want you to let them know that they are not outcast. I want you to know that they're welcome. And you have to understand, these are men who are Jews. They're not going to be welcomed in Samaria." Because they're viewed as being the problem in why the Samaritans are being treated the way they are. They don't know these guys are going to come and be different. Jesus says, well, I expect you to go to them anyway. I know they're not going to like you, but that doesn't get you off the hook. Just because somebody doesn't like you doesn't mean you don't have to do what's right. Anybody ever hear do good to your enemies? See, we often use that as our out. Well, they don't like me. Hmm, Let me look at it in the Bible. If they don't like you, you don't have to do good to them. Huh, no. Still obligated to do what's right, even though the other person doesn't like you. Even though they don't deserve it. Even though you're still obligated to do right. And then he says this, to the ends of the earth. This represented Roman power. And barbarian power. See, anywhere that Rome didn't have its empire, they just called them barbarians. After all, Roman is a civilized society. (laughs) Yeah, right. As it burns people alive, throws them into the arena. We're civilized. And he says, I'm calling you to go to the outer reaches of Rome and deal with Roman power you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, I'm calling you to go places that Rome doesn't even want to go. I'm telling you to go. And the only phrase you guys have in your culture is barbarian power. They're barbarians. You're right. You don't know if you're even going to get the words out of your mouth before they kill you. But I'm telling you that you're to go. How do you How do you do that? What's the strategy? I can tell you, there is no strategy. Man has for thousands of years trying to be, has tried to legislatively resolve this and it has not worked. Why? Because until you change the heart of a person, nothing changes. And he says the only way to do this, those dark forces have to be dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, point number two, read it out loud. The Holy Spirit provides spiritual power in daily life. So, point number two is this. I am now going to preach 28 chapters out of the book of Acts. If you don't believe in the miraculous, you will in about five minutes. So, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Okay. He said, receive the Holy Spirit and go. So he's talking about, these are places that don't even have a religious presence many times. And yet they're called to go and have an expression of faith in these places. Now, right, so I got to tell you, this. one of the beauties I have is I teach the undergrad course. Right now I'm teaching an undergrad course at Ascent College for Luke and Acts. So this is awesome because while I study to teach that class, I'm actually preparing for a sermon. (laughs) Now that's strategy. So one of the dynamics on this particular book is to pull back and go, okay, he said go into all these places and be a witness, right? And, and with the power of the Spirit. So what, what happened? And so I'm going to give you a snap. This is every miracle in the book of Acts. And what I want you to see is where it happened. Has everybody got it? The point is not the miracle. The point is I want you to see where the miraculous was happening. Everybody got me? Now I'm going to go fast. So every slide is only going to be up like 45 seconds. So if you want, there's like five of these. And I, so please, you know, don't, don't lose focus here. Everybody got it? So in chapter one, Jesus uh, ascends and the angels appear. That did not happen in a church service. That was on the Mount of Olives. And then there was the filling of the Holy Spirit. That was the upper room. And then it bled onto the Jerusalem streets. There were signs. There were wonders and miraculous signs in Acts chapter 2. It happened in the temple courts, but it also was happening in the houses. This is the first mention that something happened at the temple. Then there was a lame man. He was on the outside of the temple called the, the Gate Beautiful. Because he was lame, he was unclean and he couldn't be on the inside, so he's on the street side. Everybody got it? And then there was the death of Ananias and Sapphira for lying. And they were struck dead in their house. How's that for conviction? Okay. And then you come to chapter 5 again. There were signs, wonders, and healings. This happened at Solomon's Colony. This was the outer porch of the temple. And then it also bled onto the streets. There were signs, deliverance, and healing. This happened in the Sumerian marketplace. This Simon the Sorcerer got delivered here. That was in the uh, Sumerian marketplace. How many know people getting delivered on Main Street just might draw attention? Okay. And then there was Philip and the Ethiopian. So he was transported to the desert, and then he's transported to Az- Azotus. So we see that, okay. And then we read Saul's conversion and healing. This happened while he was on the road to Damascus, and then he was in house of house of Ju- Judas on Straight Street. Then you come, Peter heals a bedridden paralytic. It just says the city of Lydda, Lydia. Now here's uh, our Lydia. So here's the, we think that this must have happened at a house since he was bedridden, okay. Peter heals a dead woman named Tabitha, upstairs room in Joppa. Cornelius has a vision. This is in his home in Caesarea. Peter has a vision. This is a home in Joppa. The angel releases Peter from prison. That was in the Jerusalem prison. Um, Elimus, the sorcerer, was struck blind. This happened in the proconsul court. How many would love to watch a liar in court go blind? (laughs) I mean, they're just lying on the stand and, Boom. How many know that'll settle the case? (laughs) Paul and Barnabas perform signs and wonders. This is Iconium. He started ministering in the synagogue. Then the scripture is unclear whether he's outside the synagogue. So we don't really know. It just says he started in a synagogue. Paul heals a lame man. This was in Lystra. Paul has a vision at night in Troas. So we think he's camping out. A fortune-telling uh, demon was cast out of a slave girl in the marketplace of Philippi. Paul and Silas delivered from prison. This was in Philippi. Paul has a vision. This was at Titus's home in Corinth. Healings and deliverance by Paul. This was happening in the marketplace of Ephesus. The raising of Eutychus from the dead. This was at a house in Troas where Paul preached too long and he fell asleep and fell out the window and died. How many know that is a long sermon? <laughs> Aren't you glad to have a seat at ground level? Paul had a vision. This is in the Roman barracks. Paul has an angelic vision. visit. It's on the storm in on the Mediterranean. Paul gets bitten by a snake. Shoreline of Malta. Healing of Plebeus' father. This is in the home of Plebeus. My point being at all this, have you recognized the activity of the Holy Spirit was designed to be in the marketplace? When he said, go be my witnesses, He didn't mean necessarily always inviting people to the synagogue. We do read that one, possibly two happened. But the majority were happening in daily life. I often hear this. I feel like my life is so powerless. I'm trying to live for Jesus. And I just feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel like I'm so powerless. I can't change anything. And I said, and I I mean this sincerely. If you had the power of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't feel that way. you would understand the power of living a right life. And that God can take how you're living and do amazing things. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is designed to help me get over my powerless feeling. It's hard to live for Jesus if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the powers of Rome are strong. So here's what, let me, we must be careful not to deviate from the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. What it, See, I said primary. I did not say the only purpose. I said primary. Which is to empower our witness in the marketplace. How does that look? Well, These disciples didn't go out to the marketplace necessarily to do anything, but things occurred in front of them, and they said, basically, can I pray for you? How hard is it when somebody's pouring their heart out, or you see something unfolding, and people are going through a difficult time just to take them aside and say, can I pray for you right here, right now? I'm not going to scream my lungs out and draw an audience, but can I pray? You know, I've never had anybody turn me down in all my life. I've never had anybody go, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. They're actually thank you, I really could use some help right now. Thank you for noticing. I've never had anybody say no. Nobody. We have to recognize the Holy Spirit's role, primary role, is for us when we leave this building today. That we see life differently and we expect certain things in life because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. We're not helpless. Everybody said amen. amen? So, you will receive power. Let me get to this. Last, last thing I'm going to say. Actually, I'm going to tell you this and then I'm going to tell you a story and then we'll wrap up. So, one of the things in the academic world, I have to read a lot of stuff and I, I've shared this particular thing before, this phrase, this part of this. This is a book written by a couple uh, mainline. Denominational professors, okay, mainline, and what's happening? What you may not be aware of is overseas, many mainline denominations are starting to go with the Holy Spirit. They're turning they, the phrase is Pentecostalism. Now you don't see that in the United States. There's still a lot of resistance, but overseas, you're finding they're finding Presbyterians are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Methodists, Catholics it's just unbelievable they say that 85 percent of the christians around the world are believed to be baptized in the holy spirit so you can see we're really behind we're way 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 far behind and so these professors of these mainline denominations wanted to go figure this out why is this catching on all over the world and what's happening so it's pretty pretty decent read i'm gonna say 150 160 pages and I'm just going to give you the synopsis of the book so that you don't have to read the whole thing. Everybody good with that? So this is, this is how they wrap up trying to assess the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming into so many people's lives around the world. This is a quote. In the last chapter, we sat down our soci, our, we let down our sociological guard and referred to the S factor. Let me just tell you, the S factor is the Holy Spirit. Leave it to a bunch of academia people trying to redefine. Just Why don't you just say Holy Spirit? They just call it the S factor. Okay. Which is an acknowledgement that there may be something more than humanly generated activity in Pentecostalism. You don't say. Perhaps, now, he, like I said, these are mainline Christian evangelical professors. This is their book, okay, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing any, I'm not saying anything that they didn't put in print and market, okay? Perhaps Pentecostals connect on occasion with a reality that is not solely explainable by human factors. Can I get a witness? I was like, wow. So this is how you guys do the dance. You know, we'll acknowledge it, but we're not going to step in it we're not claiming that there is something more oh really which would turn this into a theological treatise rather we are simply not excluding this possibility a priori throughout this book we have sometimes referred to the spirit with a capital s this has been very intentional because pentecostals believe that the animating force in their lives is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Can I get an amen? Amen. At the risk of being accused of having gone naive, how's that for covering yourself? At the risk of being accused of having gone naive, we believe that there is something that can be identified as the S factor that appears to operate in the lives of Pentecostals. priceless they say there's something they saw it they talked to these people while we were in Senegal one day it was time to unload the steel for the structure that we were building so Eric, Valdez and myself who was in the group we went over to where the container was and we had to start unloading that steel and while we were doing it, we recognized there was more there so we got some of the bible college students to help us unload that that container shipping container and as we're doing it i was talking to the missionary and i said man you know these students how, how does how does one get called to the ministry in an islamic country i mean that's kind of like I mean, just to get him saved has got to be a miraculous thing. How, how, how does one, he said, see that student there? He said, yeah. Let me tell you a story. His name was Usman. Usman had just recently come to the Bible college to study, to go into the ministry. About a year ago, Usman was a part of a very radical Islamic Muslim family. But Usman got sick and... The sickness developed and his family started taking him to all the doctors that they could have access to and nobody could treat Usman. And so Usman was now diagnosed, he's going to die. So they took them home, took Usman home, put him in his bedroom to die and close the door. His sister had compassion on him and brought him food, water and a bucket every day. But she would walk in, leave some food, water, a bucket, and close the door. One night, Jesus showed up in Usman's room and had a conversation with Usman in the middle of the night. The second night, Jesus showed up again, had another conversation with Usman, and then disappeared. The third night, Jesus showed up again, spoke with Usman, and said, Usman, today you are healed. Get out of your bed and walk. So Usman said, I got up, I walked out, I went into the living room, and my family just totally freaked out because they thought I was in there dying. They said, what happened? He said, all I know is this guy named Jesus has shown up in my room the last three nights. And tonight Jesus told me I was healed and to get up and walk. And he said, I need to know more about Jesus. I think there's a church nearby and Sunday I'm gonna go to church. His father said, if you go to that church, don't bother coming home, you will be dead to this family. Usman did go to church. Heard about Jesus, understood who Jesus was now, accepted Jesus into his life, came home that Sunday, his father opened the door. He said, Usman, did you go to church today? He said, yes, dad, I did. He said, you are now dead to this family. Don't ever come back and slam the door in his face. Usman said, I had to go back to the church and tell the pastor, now what do I do? And the pastor says, you now have a new family. This church will take care of you. A few months later, Jesus showed up in Usman's room again. He said, Usman, I'm telling you that you need to go and preach and you need to tell people about who I am and what I've done in your life. You need to go and testify about me. So after that, he went to the pastor and he said, hey, Jesus showed up again and he tells me I'm supposed to go tell people about him. I have no idea how to do that. What am I supposed to do? And the pastor says, well, that means now you go to Bible college. And he said, this church is going to pay your way to Bible college. And so Usman had been at that Bible college for a year. Don't tell me God doesn't do the miraculous. Sorry. I spoke to the guy. The team here spoke to the guy. We met him. You're going to tell me that stuff doesn't occur? Nobody gets credit for leading Usman to Jesus. Jesus showed up. I'd love to build Usman a church. Don't know what the future holds, but I thought, man, God... When he's ready to go, I'd love to build that guy's church. I'd love to be a part of that. Listen, the Holy Spirit comes in various dimensions, just like your walk with Jesus. The day you got saved, you didn't know everything, but you've progressed in your walk. The Holy Spirit is acting active in your life, and there's progressions. And yes, there is another dimension called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not are you or do you have the Spirit or you don't. You are growing. You couldn't have gotten saved unless the Holy Spirit did something. Okay, but what you have to realize is it is a journey. Just as you walk with Jesus, there. Are, how many of you have learned a lot more than the day you got saved? It's the same way with the Holy Spirit, man. It's growing into this dimension. And here's how I want us to take away to the service today. The takeaway is this. In just a second, I'm going to say, get on your feet. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands and just say, God, give me everything that you intend for my life. Everything. If that Holy Spirit came on the apostles, I want the same thing. I want that. God will never give you something you're not asking for. Everybody said amen. So come on, let's stand to our feet. Would you do that? And all and Pastor Malik and the team are going to sing a song. I don't want you singing the song. I want you to cry out to God. Give me more of the Holy Spirit than what I currently have. Ask Him for that. Come on, open your mouth. Lift your hands, all of us, for about the next couple minutes. We're asking the Holy Spirit to be increased in our life today. Come on, everybody. Lift your voice right now.
0: As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us, come rest on us, come rest on us.
1: As the spirit was moving over the
0: water, spirit come move over us, come. I'm going to ask
1: some of our connection group leaders and some of our church leaders to make their way forward and we're just going to sing that song, that chorus and you need a miracle today. I can tell you the same Jesus that showed up in Newsman's room is the same Jesus that will show up when you cry out to him. And if you have a need, whatever it's related to for yourself or somebody else, come and somebody will pray. But we're just going to sing this chorus once or twice and then I'm going to dismiss everybody. But come on, lift your voice and come if you have a need. house of God lift your hands as I say the blessing and we go I bless you in the name of the Lord may he bless you in this city and in this county may the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed may he bless the work of your hands at home at work at church in this community may he bless your coming and your going may the Lord grant the enemies rising up against you be defeated when they come at you in one direction let them flee from you in seven directions May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen, the Lord bless you.